morning, church. How's it going? Got your coffee? Some of you? Some of you at home, you got your coffee, you're all sitting on your couch. But hey, we're going to get into God's Word, so hopefully you got your Word with you, or you got your device, and you can uh, just turn with me in the Bible there. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 3 for a little, and then we're going to jump into, uh, uh, forward into Luke. So if you want to uh, just mark it there before we do uh, turn there, uh, we are in this new series uh, the Greatest Adventure, and I just want to frame that real quick uh, with you. And any adventure or, or trip, you definitely need uh, probably one of these, uh, and there's usually helpful things inside it. And so I just wanted to unpack uh, that real quick just to help us get like what, uh, what an adventure is. And I don't know about you, but when uh, you go places, you normally have a set of shoes for every occasion. Right, so um, some people have one. I, I don't know how to do that, but I have different shoes that have been different places. These are my work boots. Right, they've got um, they've done some things. They know some things. Had some experience. Right, I pull them out. I remember uh, some things like uh, the the time I almost cut my foot off with the chainsaw. Right there, you see that? Uh, maybe not. No, but I learned some things through those shoes. Uh, my my uh, boots. Anybody like the ball? Yeah. Um, I'd like to think I can, so I've got those. Uh, and when I put them on, it makes me feel like I can, at least uh, look like somebody who can play. And then I, I have my two cool for school shoes, um, so when people are questioning whether I'm cool, they can look at my shoes and be like, yeah, he's cool. Uh, and then uh, I have, oh, I have these, uh, these for the trip. Like when I'm walking out the door and I want, need to feel like I know uh, what I'm talking about, these shoes communicate that sometimes, or at least for me, when I'm putting them on, I'm like, oh yeah, I learned that that one time at school. And, and so these shoes kind of represent uh, part of the adventure, I guess, like if you would think of it this way, each of these pairs of shoes kind of communicates some part of like my experience with God and, and just life in general, some understanding, some knowledge that I have like from my journey, if you would, my adventure in life. They're kind of my shoes and my experience. Can you guys... See that there? Some of you on this side maybe can't see it, but I have, I have some sports shoes. I do play sports, even as alarming as that might sound. Uh, but my favorite uh, is basketball, and uh, rugby would come in close sick in there. I just love to tackle people, just to be honest and truthful. So I came from here today with water, too, for this adventure. Um, so in this description or thought of the greatest adventure... I uh, really wanted to frame it in this, in this way as we look at the life that we have ahead of us. We have an opportunity to walk, not just an adventure, but I believe the greatest adventure actually is this. If you think of an adventure, the life that I've lived, the adventure with God is in this and the mystery of the unknown. Like there's actually out here some things I've never done before and maybe go into the realm of the impossible, things that I can't do. And the adventure in life for most people fits in within this. But as I follow God and go on the adventure with him, there's actually a realm beyond what I can do, that I can walk in with him. There's a journey available to followers of Christ like myself that is in the impossible. Do you know that the impossible is possible with God, that actually God does the impossible all the time, right? 
We probably have testimonies in our own life of the impossible being possible. And, and it might be simple things like overcoming anxiety, like it might seem simple, anxieties, small anxieties. But then there's large anxieties. There's things that just, that's impossible for, for some people to do. And then there's possibilities or impossibilities for some people that are different for others. So what's possible for you is impossible for me and, and vice versa. And so in life with God, actually there's a realm of the impossible that I can actually journey in with him it's only possible with him. And so I present to you this, this time of uh, just searching, and that's why we have the search bar there, that, that we can, in our life right now, in this season, we can step in and actually, as we search out the scriptures, we're going to see God do the impossible. And in our life, we can either defer to what we know, our own understanding, as a default, or maybe you could say a rut. I'd say it's similar to these work shoes of mine. When I go to do like the cutting down of trees or the trimming that needs to be done now because of the storm that we just had, right? Uh, I, I will defer to these boots because they know some things. Or at least when I put them on, I remember, oh yeah, don't do that again, <laughs> right? Like, yeah, put, put your chaps on, like be safety first, whatever I told my kids I should probably do, right? So safety first, put your safety stuff on. And so these boots remind me of that. I have some understanding. But as I journey through life, it's easy for me in those things that come up that are hard to default to what I know. And I think God calls us sometimes beyond what we know and leaning into something that maybe he only knows. To do in us and through us some things that only he can do. There's a verse in the Bible that you're all familiar with in Proverbs chapter three where we are right now. And if you're in your Bibles, you can flick there. Somebody get excited that we're in God's word, that we have God's word available to us. Amen? Isn't that cool? Proverbs 3 and we're going to go straight to these verses uh, in 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Everybody say heart. Very good. Great accents there. And do not lean on your own understanding, right? Do not lean. Let me notice here, it doesn't say get a, like your understanding, like leave it behind. It doesn't say put aside and, and don't think about it. It says, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. It goes on to say, Do not, uh, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Verse 8, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Like there's... There's two things going on as you read Proverbs 3. There's this imperative heard, which means it's like, as you read it, it's like, you, this is like a command, like, don't do this, do this. But there's also behind it a, a if you do this, there's this, and it's the favor of God. So there's both the imperative to, hey, you must do this. There's also the, uh, hey, and there's a benefit to doing this as well. As you do this, you can expect what? From re refreshment. And before this, we know that he's talking about the favor of God. If you have the teachings, the word of God in you, there's favor. You guys follow me? So these verses, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, as we listen to them as imperatives or things that you must do, if you're reading it, reading through there, you probably have to wrestle out this. Man, these are hard things. 
If you don't think they're hard, you're probably not thinking about them that deeply. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Anybody who's tried to do that realizes that is very hard. And we're going to talk about that throughout this series. We're going to talk about the things that are underlining there, which is, do I trust God? Can I trust God with my future? Am I allowing circumstances or past hurts to wear down the trust that I have? Or maybe you're coming at it with this thought today. You're coming in fresh. You're thinking, can I begin to trust God? In this series, that's what we'll tackle, these questions of, uh, the, that really matter, that kind of the underlining uh, reason why we might not adventure with God. We might just be in a rut. You know, these shoes, these boots, they fit my hobbit feet really good. All right? You try to put these boots on, they're not going to fit you so good. They're, they're mo- I've built a rut in my boots, right? And they're very comfortable for me. I've plowed. I have dug snow, which is a new thing for me, by the way. And I'm doing pretty good, I think. And these, these boots have gone in my fir- they were with me in my first dig. You know, so they're important. I have some sentimental value. I have some ties there with them. And so when I face hard things, it's easy for me to go to my own understanding. What I know will work, I go to. It's easy. I would put to you today that the greatest adventure on offer for you and for me as believers, followers of Christ, is this, when we go to him and we put our life in his hands. And no longer do we lean on these things. We, we, we actually lean into God and say, you know what? I'm willing to, lean, I'm willing to uh, have these things as a part of my process of thinking, but actually what I'm going to lean on is I'm going to lean into you. Even though there's a mystery here, there's some unanswered things I'm going to lean into in faith, the things only you can do. I'm going to lean on that. I'm going to trust, in other words, you, God, before I trust these things. That is the, the place of greatest adventure for us. The greatest, probably the hardest trial for us, though, is going to be actually moving into that adventure and teetering back and forth, maybe in our ruts and in his promises. You've heard this, I've heard this, and it's annoying. When you're facing hard times and you hear those words, you say, well, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Let it worry about itself. And you may have said that to somebody in a hard time. But how many of us really want to hear that whispered in our ear when we're facing hard times? Hey, don't worry about it. Let, let tomorrow worry about itself. That's because we don't want to hear it because there's a wrestle going on in us and it's hard when there's hard things in front of us, to, to put our full trust in, in God. Because often, it's in the impossible. So I want to go this morning in Scripture to a place where another uh, person in the Bible, who we can all hopefully relate to this morning in this way, that had to cross over and put his, his whole life and his hopes into God's hands. So I want to flip through to Luke Chapter 1. Would you go there with me in your Bibles? I love hearing these pages turning. We're, 
We're in the Old Testament, now we're moving up to the New Testament. It's right towards the beginning of the New Testament. Luke chapter 1. And before we do that, let's just pray. Father God, we know that you are good, that you are able. Uh, according to your word, you can do the impossible. And, and in our lives, uh, we just want to uh, just be real this morning. God, that's hard. And as we look at this adventure that is following you, God, we ask that you move us into a place of responding to you uh, with a yes. God, help us shift uh, into greater faith today and maybe help us as we uh, see some things that we need to lay down. God, you just uh, make us aware of those things and help us to move in, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this story in Luke chapter 1. It's uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth and you're probably familiar with this story. Sometimes we would share this around Christmas time uh, because it kind of brings on the, the Christmas stories right at the beginning there. So Luke chapter 1, verse 9, it says this. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn... Many of the children of Israel to their Lord, their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Just because it's in the Bible Guys, this, this cannot be an excuse you use this afternoon, okay? All right? You're asked to do something, you can't see. How will this be? I'm an old man. No. This is not okay. Advanced in years is not an excuse. And the angel answered him. I can hear some people responding to that excuse right here. I am Gabriel. Maybe you won't call yourself an angel, but you will tell them who you are. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak with them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And if you heard the Christmas story, you, you know uh, how this plays out uh, in with that story. When Zechariah heard the news, though, let's focus in, zoom in here. He heard the news from the angel, and his response was, how can this be? You could say after that, how could this be possible? Truth be known, we could probably all relate. We would have done this same thing. I know this because I still do this today. I see or I hear God's word, I, I, I know what it says, and the next thing I go to, okay, where's the proof? Is this actually uh, 
actually working out? Is this, is this uh, a thing? Some of us are worse uh, than that. I know in my world I have fact checkers and bean counters. I can, I can be that way myself. And that uh, I start to calculate as there are things that I'm supposed to do. I begin to calculate in my brain how this could work out and be, be actually uh, possible. And I very quickly make a pros and cons list. If I do this, you know, this is good, this is bad. And I can almost hear the internal dialogue with Zechariah of, I don't know if I want this or not. Right? It, what is going on here? And he's calculating the reality of what is being said. I know uh, just in very small way, I was here this year, and I was standing in the grocery store, and I saw somebody, uh, you know, they were shocked by the amount of money they were going to have to pay for the groceries, and, and then they were going through their purse. And I had this nudge from the Holy Spirit, a whisper if you could, hey, just, just pay the bill, right? And, and so don't, I mean, this is your pastor, okay? I'm not perfect, obviously, um, but just so we all know it. I mean, I was processing there. I began to make a pros and cons list. I did the calculations of what it would be. I began to do it in my brain, like, blah, blah, blah. By the time I was done doing my processing, the, the moment had gone. They had literally like paid the bill and walked out. I'm so slow sometimes to pick up on these nudges and actually walk in obedience. I miss these opportunities to, to be used by God and walk in an adventure, walking from what I know into the unknown or the mystery or the impossibilities. And so I gotta be careful that I don't lean on my own understanding but that I acknowledge him in all my ways. And who is he? The King of kings, Lord of lords, right? My provider. And so if there's a nudge, if the Holy Spirit or God's leading me in something, I want to be, yes. But I'm often like, you know, I know some things. I've learned some things in school. I wear these to class. I feel like I'm smarter than I am. You know, I remember learning something in these shoes. Maybe they'll work again. But we can do that, right? We can lean in or, or quickly revert back to what we know instead of just, you know what, God? Yes. Zechariah asking, you know, the angel, I can just hear it, and I don't know, like, for you, but as I see this moment of overwhelming uh, like realization of what is actually happening in Zechariah. I actually get this amazing picture, if you go with me for a second, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The good news of Jesus Christ when he came to us in our sinfulness. And Romans 5 verse 8 says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. It's like, I don't deserve this. Zechariah is like, are you kidding me? I don't deserve this. He's overwhelmed with this like, wow, are you going to do this, God? How can this be possible? And so I can see how he gets there in this overwhelmed moment because I get there in, in the good news of Christ and he says, I want to love on you this way. I'm going to go to the cross. Your sin needs a penalty, which is death, and I'm going to take it. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die for you. My blood is shed for you, covers your sin, and so you can enter into relationship with God again. It was impossible, but with me it's possible. You see that? 
And in that place of overwhelming love for us, he then is raised to life again, overcomes sin and death, and now I have eternity with him. It's amazing. And in my brain, anybody else, in my, like, I want to rationalize this out, I think, well, I should have done something to deserve that. I should have, like, been through a process, God, before you would give me that amazing gift. Anybody else? Right? And I still go back to that. I want to do something for you, God, so that it makes sense that you would do this impossible thing for me. And so is the gospel. So is the good news for us. It's hard for us to even take on the impossible that's already happened. It's already been done. It's impossible. We in faith, believe it and receive it, and yet we still wrestle with it. Am I right? Because we have a mode of thinking, understanding that we have to sometimes not lean on. Many times not lean on. So this story of Zechariah encompasses this gospel uh, wrestle that we have. And Zechariah himself, just being in that moment is a testimony to the, just the sovereignty of God that, that he is at work all the time in all things, right? And because of the uh, fact that he's one of 18,000 priests that just happens to be picked to do this one job at this time of the year, which is the, like, the ordained moment for him to hear this message because John, right, is the one preparing the way for Jesus. John has to come at a certain time. So think about all the dates have to line up for Zechariah to be the one of those 18,000 standing in that room, that inner court with God at that very moment to hear this message from the Lord to say, hey, this is what's coming for you. Okay, now hear that. But also hear this, for Zechariah's whole life, what he knows, I don't have a son, I don't have a child. In the Hebrew culture, it means my wife is shamed and guilted because the, the stories they've heard and the understanding, which was really superstition, was that if you didn't have child, if you were barren, right, that means you sinned against God. You do some, some massive thing to deserve to not have children. And so this woman and this man, just if we just look at their humanness, are, are walking through life receiving all this condemnation, all this shame, all this guilt for a long time, for all their days. And then in this moment, when he's an old man, he hears, you're going to have a child. Now I'll try to digest that. Like, it's enough to be like, whoa, are you serious? On the outside looking in, that's overwhelming. Imagine being standing in that room. Even though there's a, a supernatural being in the room with you, it's still hard to receive, amen? I remember hearing the news that we were going to have uh, our first baby. And as uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, because it was overwhelming to say the least. And, and some of you dads uh, maybe will uh, identify with this, but uh, I, w I was flushed with this, this feeling I didn't understand at the time, but I understand now was I was experiencing the most joy I think I have experienced before, at the same time experiencing the most fear I've ever experienced. All at one moment. 
And in that overwhelming moment, my wife says, aren't you excited? Uh, uh, let me change my face to, to express the joy side of what I'm feeling right now. You know, I, I gotta get in the moment of like, I know what she's looking for. She knew before I did, every single time, obviously. And I'm like, uh, uh, there's joy in here. Yes, like, I know I'm experiencing joy, but I'm also filled with fear, flooded with fear. Now think about my experience, my life. I was fatherless. I, I, was, I was burned and, and, and burned out on this idea that I could ever be a dad because if I was a dad, the, the fear would just be overwhelming me because how could I ever be a dad? If, because I carried this thought of if I'm a dad, I'm going to be just like my dad who was horrible. He was absent and at the same time, his presence and the thought of him was so grotesque because he had forced himself on my mother and I became the result. I wasn't planned. I wasn't supposed to be here. I was a burden. My dad was hurtful in so many ways, on so many layers, that I digested that and I wore it on my shoulders, that if I ever hear those words, that I'm going to be a father, instantly fear is overwhelming. And I went into my rut of what I knew to be true. My understanding is that dad equals pain. And so, yes to joy, I'm going to be a dad. And it actually, in my fear, you know what it was? Babe, you're going to be a mom. I'm so overjoyed for you. I'm going to be a dad was like, whoa. I couldn't, how can this, how can I enter into being a father? That's impossible for it to be good. And we all know the humor of God giving me eight sons, right? We'll we just break that ice. If you didn't know, I have eight sons. It's like, you have a sense of humor, bro. Like, Lord Almighty. My fear of messing up was so palatable. It was so, I could taste that. And I, and I want to say this, like talking about the adventure, you know, just like with Zechariah, the pain of the past presents a wall for me to put my trust in God fully. For me to enter into the adventure with God that's often out here in the realm of impossible, I have to take my pain to God and receive healing. You know, the Bible says, by his stripes, we are healed. And so I know, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. I I'm telling you, that's my experience. And by his stripes, I have been healed. So when I think about the fact that I could have another son, right, I'm not, I, I mean, I'm still struggling with that a little bit. Let me just be real, because there's eight of them. But like, I'm not overwhelmed with fear, mostly. I, I have some, okay, I'm just being honest. <laughs> I have some fear of that. But but I know God can. And so I say yes. I know God can. And I'm not blocked with the knowledge that God can because my fear has been dealt with and the pain of my past has been brought to the Lord. I have entrusted him with this fathering thing and said, God, that is on you. 
If you want to make this broken vessel a father, you're going to have to come through for me. You're going to have to heal me. You're going to have to make a way where there is an impossibility, a wall that needs to come down for me. Amen? And so many of us are in this place of, God, you must first do this. And and that's okay. Zechariah was there. And God had to do a work in him. And so for us this morning, as we, we face and look at this adventure with God, I want us to do this this morning like, uh, like I did, like my experience, like Zechariah ended up having to do for the six months after he got silenced. There was a gut check. Do you trust God? You can do all the stuff to become a priest. You can set yourself up with all the righteous good things, but the question that underlines it all is, do you trust me? And we got to get a get a moment with God and just do a gut check today. So I have, I have three gut checks that I want us to walk through. And the first is this, uh, and it's really just what we just talked about. And that is uh, to trust him is to let go of the past, maybe the habits, the behavior, the behavior, safety nets, old ruts, like my shoes here, or hurts. It's to let them go into his hands. And you know, that's a step of trust. That's a step of faith. Because my painful things that are close to me, I'm not just going to give them to anybody. I can talk about them today to you because of the healing I've gone through. But that took a while. So I'm going to ask you, I, there were some handouts there. If you have the blanks there, if you're at home, you want to write them down. I would just fill in like what it is for you. Like to trust him right now is to let go of and fill in the blank with one of those things. Like what is the one thing for you? When you get to the edge of like what you know and you know you need to lean on something beyond yourself, like into God, what's preventing you, what's holding you back from this place? Is it a past hurt? Verse five in Proverbs three says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. He had an excuse. But I'm convinced that it was the past hurt that he had put his hope and trust in God to provide a son, to provide uh, a daughter, anything. He was just calling out to God and prayers had not been answered year after year after year. And his wife had gone to the years where she's not childbearing anymore. So he had let go of that hope. So how can this be possible? He has to backtrack to where he was hurt the most and say, God, here you can have this where I let go of hope. I'm giving it to you. That's not easy. It's really this question, God, can I trust you to do the impossible? See, many of us will say we trust God, but do we trust God to do the impossible? We have this great contrast, and I didn't do this in the first service, and I'm way over time, I'm gonna do it anyway, but to me, this comes to mind. The guys that are listening to Jesus, they're just, they've been fishing all night, and they come back, and Jesus is there preaching the word, and some say he's standing on the boat right there, right, and he's preaching the word, and these, these guys are cleaning up their nets, and they're sitting in their boats, and they're doing this, and then Jesus says to them, after they're like cleaning all their nets and going about listening to him, he says to them, hey, would you go out a little bit deeper and throw your nets out? And I think of what they know and what they understand about fishing is right there. There's so much for them to go back to and say, 
um, no. And it's breakfast time. And I haven't had coffee. And, like, I can make a list of myself, right? I just did all this cleaning, and you want me to put them back out there and catch fish. Are you kidding me? There's so many excuses why not go out and cast your nets. But they don't give excuses. They just go to yes. And I say, God, can I be like that guy? Like, can I just, because I'm not. I'm the bean cow. I'm the guy that goes back to my own understanding. I can make a way here. I can figure it out. I can go to do this and this and this and this and this and I can make it work. But God's calling me beyond that. God, can I be this? Because what they experience next is the impossible. They went out and they cast out their nets and they pull it in and they get this incredible miracle of overwhelming love of God, right? The so love of God shows up in their boat and they cannot contain it. Anybody can contest if you've encountered God for real and his love, it is overwhelming. It floods your boat, right? And it begins to sink the brain. Like this is too much to take in. And I wanna be like this. And what it takes, I think, is this next uh, gut check, if we would, of trusting God to trust him is to cling to him. To trust him is to cling to him. And, and you might say, you know, this is one of those imperatives, right? It's like, you must trust him, so cling to him. It's a bit of a, like, okay, it's a do this thing. I don't ever want to just do the, hey, God says do this. But here's, here's how the Bible helps us with this, do this. First in Joshua 22, and there's, there's actually probably more than 100 of these, but I'm just going to pick out four. Joshua 22, verse five, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling, say cling. Cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Sounds a little bit like Proverbs three. This is an imperative, like do this. What does it mean to cling? Observe his commandments. Do what he told you to do. So clinging is actually doing what God told you to do. Right? Psalm 119. The Bible helps us with clinging. David writes this amazing thing for us to, to uh, take on this beauty of God. But in there he says this. He also says, uh, I will cling to your testimonies. As hard as life is right now and my physical what I'm seeing is impossible, but I'm going to do this. I'm gonna remember your testimonies. In other words, you've done it before, you can do it again. I'm gonna think of those testimonies in the word. So what does it mean to cling? It means I am going to be with you through this. You've done it before. Oh, I remember. You did it before. Let's go. It literally means, cling means literally hang on for dear life. Some of you do that when you ride roller coasters. If you're like me, you're like, ah, Let's go. It's an adventure with God that he's calling us to. And, and to be on that adventure, it takes this, to cling on. And as you're moving into the impossible, remember, he's done it before. He can do it again. What did Zechariah think? When he crossed over, and maybe he was thinking this on the way home while he couldn't talk, right? He's mute now. He's got lots of time to think, and he's walking home. I imagine Zechariah thinking about this, going, you know what? God kind of did this before with Abraham. Why didn't I think of that sooner? Right? He's doing, he's offering in Zechariah to show up again and do what God does. 
So in, in our lives, sometimes God says, hey, I'm going to come do this. And you're like, but how? Or you're like, I don't know about that. And you're literally questioning something God's already done. It might be in somebody else's life. In the word, you can see it. The impossible's already been done, and yet you're still questioning it. We do this. But to cling is to remember that and hold on. Hold on. Some of the verses say, hold fast to my word. Hold fast to my commandments. The Old Testament's full of that. Joshua in particular. But John 20, 11, I love this picture. This is the last one I'll, I'll talk about here. But Mary, the encounter with Jesus, he comes out of the tomb, right? And, and she's looking. She came running. She hasn't let go of Jesus dying on the cross. She shows up to the tomb that morning, right? Expecting to what? See the stone in place. And, and she's looking for Jesus. She, she's still mourning, grieving. Is he really dead? And then he walks around. He's right there. And the scripture says, Jesus says, do not cling to me. Church, can we just like do a Mary and just like jump towards opportunities to cling to Jesus? Like in, when it's hard and we're like, what do I do now? I say we take on moments where we just go, okay, everything's crazy, this is hard, but Jesus, you're so good. And cling Cling physically, like emotionally, in faith, invest in clinging as Mary ran to Jesus and clung to him. It's a great picture of what we're encouraged to do. And the last gut check, you know, are we, are we there? Are we wanting to cling to Jesus? Is a gut check. Am I there? The next one is this to trust God is to say yes. We've already said this, but it's really going that next step saying yes to the mystery of following him. I don't know what's going to happen next. But yes. Those guys in the boat didn't know. It goes beyond my understanding. I've reached my limit. Okay, yes. I'm not going to ask, but how? I'm going to say, yes. It's scary. And if it's scary, I say that's good. I feel like that's the risk worth taking because I want to be in an adventure, the greatest adventure with you. I think of the hard things that in our community, the impossible things that exist. And I think that the greatest adventure is taking those impossible and the mystery things and just taking them and placing them in God's hands and saying yes. And even right now, if you're not in a hard time, you're in a, maybe in a cruise mode, you recognize like right now I'm comfortable in these shoes, in my understanding. And it's a good time to ask yourself, if faced with the impossible right now, what would be my reaction? And if you say, but it's hard for me to answer, I'm going to go a little step further. I want you to think of that thing. You know, I think like Zechariah, his thing. I don't think there's one other thing in Zechariah's life that could have been maybe the most impossible. 
that God could have asked him to think about. That was gut-wrenching. That's gut stuff. You will not have a child. He's probably heard that many times over in his prayer life, saying to himself, let it go. You're not going to have a child. But God, in a moment, came and touched that hurt. And your impossible thing that is the most impossible thing is probably for you, if you can identify right now, that hurt. You know, God can, but maybe he won't do this. Maybe God can do that for others, but he's never done it for me. And so if this morning, if we would say, like, what's that impossible thing that you'd say, no, God, you can't touch that. God, you can't have that. You won't do that. I'm asking us to go there because I believe on the other side of that is the greatest adventure known to any believer, any follower, that we can, we can walk into that unknown, that mystery, and God can use us to bring the supernatural, the miraculous into our very natural lives. And it can seem very natural to us to see God move and do things that seem impossible. And I'm not talking about growing legs or organs or, or, or even just the physical healings that you might be coming into your mind right now. I'm talking about joy when there's no hope. I'm talking about being able to say yes to God when it seems impossible to do those things. Right here in Zechariah's moment with God, he was just speaking into being what was about to come and he questioned it. He wasn't just handing him a child he was just speaking into being. And that is the place we'll wrestle. When God speaks and God whispers something to you that seems impossible, what will be your response, church? Will it be a quiet yes to God? Yes. If you want to do that, yes. You're not stepping beyond God. You're just saying yes. You don't have to wrestle with it. Is this God or not? Zechariah didn't have to wrestle whether this is God or not in that quiet place. All he had to do was whisper, yes, God, I'm for you. Even though that seems impossible, yes. You said it, I believe it. I'm with you, God. I think of uh, this, this picture comes to mind of Ruth, the book of Ruth in, in chapter one. Naomi and Ruth are in this, in this zone, right? Naomi is this woman, his, her mother, and she's lost everything. She's lost her husband. And now she has nothing. But she has her mom. And her mom-in-law becomes, like Christ, the hope in her life. And she says these powerful words to her. She says these words. She says, where you go, I will go. And she, she says this, like uh, there's a journey coming and where you go, I'll go. There's a pull. And she also says to her this powerful thing, your people will be my people. And for many of us, this is where we get stuck is, is our thing and your thing or that thing and our thing. And we get stuck, but she's like total abandonment. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And there's this becoming of her that, that she says, you know, what I've known and what I know to be true, I'm gonna just set it aside for a second. I'm gonna say, God, I want what you have. I wanna move into the mystery and the impossible. God, I wanna follow you with everything that I have. My heart, my whole heart is yours. 
And if you said it, I believe it. Church, this is the, the struggle with walking in an adventure with God. And it can be a momentary and daily activity with God saying, yes. And so I want you to stand with me this morning. And as we go on in worship, we're going to just worship and lean into this. And I, I want to ask you again, if God came in this room or an angel or, or a Holy Spirit whispered to you this morning, an impossible thing. Would you be stuck and saying, but God, how could you ever? Or would you lean in and say yes? And if you're not there to just jump in and say yes, would you take a moment and, and do a David with us and say, search me and know my heart, God. And that place of hurt, that place of pain that presents a wall, <laughs> I'm coming with all that pain and I want you to do something with it right now. I want you to take it. I want you to heal me. I want to move into a yes. We got any yes people in the room? You ready to move towards God today? Come on, let's worship God this morning. Let's let him do business with us. Worship. Worship.